Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Buck Sanders. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Gentlemen, I think we can agree uh, that the past two weeks or coming on two weeks have been quite the whirlwind in Chapel Hill surrounding Mac Brown's hire, the return of the Mac, as folks are calling it, to Chapel Hill. And Greg, I want to start the podcast by sort of describing my Friday night, uh, because I know for you, for Buck and Ben and everybody in South Carolina, it's been ridiculously hectic over the past three days, two or three days, but Friday night, and I think most folks have office parties around this time of year, and texts came through uh, that Carolina had come to agreement with an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator and told a couple people that are diehard Inside Carolina members, diehard Carolina fans, and they were very excited and then almost immediately saw a tweet by Bruce Feldman that, said not so fast on Graham Harrell. And then it kind of spun from there. Greg, talk to us. Tell our listeners about the process and the, the facts behind the stories coming out, and then we can go into detail about what happened afterwards. Well, I think I think we have to start at the beginning, and that's when, you know, as soon as Mac Brown uh, was was chosen to lead North Carolina's program, which was the uh, basically, it was the Sunday night after the NC State game. We we, we reported it uh, on, on Monday morning, not long after UNC uh, confirmed our report and uh, announced Mac, I guess, the next day as UNC's head coach. And so starting from Sunday night and, and Monday morning, once we knew it was going to be Mac, uh, we, we went to work trying to determine, okay, who's going to be his assistant coaches and most importantly, who's going to be his coordinators? And we knew that was kind of the thing everybody was going to want to know. So we brainstormed immediately about how do we go about sourcing this data? Who do we check with? Um, and so we, we cast a wide net. And very early in the process, and I think people will remember this, uh, Buck penned a column on Jay Bateman. And it was still in November. So we're talking you know, 10, 11 days ago because it was pretty clear from the early going that Mac was interested in, in what Jay Bateman had been able to do at Army. Um, and as things had played out, uh, we found out the kind of the situation was that, that Tommy Thigpen was going to end up being the co-defensive coordinator along with Greg Robinson. Uh, and so we reported that last week. I think everybody understands how, how that went. Um, and then when they decided you know, that Robinson was not going to be the fit um, and not going to get the response they had hoped he would get, it became a little bit more of an, an open uh, dialogue again about who's going to be the guy. But from the get-go, we knew that Jay Bateman was considered for the position. But then if you fast forward to last Thursday, which was December 6th, uh, we knew that uh, Cliff Kingsbury, while North Carolina had made a late push for him, uh, ultimately was, was not able to get his signature. And so it became a point there where we knew from what Mac had told some recruits and what some people around the program had said, 
he was very interested in the air raid system. You know, he watched it a lot during his uh, commentating while well, he'd been doing that in the last five years for ESPN, that he liked the air raid system. And that's something that he wanted to think about employing. And so while we knew Mike Sanford was an option offensive coordinator, it was on Thursday uh, that we heard that Graham Harrell, who was the offensive coordinator at North Texas under Seth Luttrell, uh, was all of a sudden a kind of a prime candidate. Uh, and so as at that point in time, Thursday night, we knew that, that Bateman was an option. We knew that Graham Harrell was an option. And so as we get into Friday evening, uh, we had a, a wealth of sources, a, a number of people contact us and say, hey, uh, these two are going to be the guys. Uh, they're, they have reached agreements with UNC, um, and that's how, that's how this is going to play out. And so we, we went through our normal protocols and, okay, do we have enough sources to be able to report this? Are we comfortable with our sources? Uh, and at that point in time, the answer was yes. But we checked all the boxes that we needed to check before we decided to report those stories. And so Friday night, uh, we reported both Graham Harrell as UNC's offensive coordinator and then Jay Bateman as UNC's defensive coordinator. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, Bruce Feldman, who is a national columnist, uh, writes now for The Athletic, uh, promptly you know, spoke out on Twitter saying that he had been told by a source that Harold was in fact going to stay with North Texas. Um, and not long after that, uh, we had a, another reliable source reach out to us and let us know that, uh, in fact, the, the Harold deal was not done, uh, as well as the, the Bateman deal. And so after some uh, lengthy conversations, uh, we revisited both situations. And at that point in time, there was, there was enough question in terms of uh, kind of the situations with both people that we decided to uh, pull the stories and offered a retraction. And that's kind of what started the a whirlwind of a weekend for us. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll lay it off to Buck to, to continue from there. Buck, I, I'll tell you this, and I, I've, I said it off the air, uh, is, is regarding Bateman, my initial thought on Friday evening when I saw the text was, mm, you know, I thought maybe he wanted that to stay in-house until after the Army-Navy game. Let's start with that one, and then we can talk about Harold as well, uh, because they're two separate things here. But with the Bateman story, the decision to go ahead and run it on Friday. Well, this, this may sound like uh, equivocating a little bit, but as much as people had made the natural conclusion, came to the natural conclusion that, the Army-Navy game is so important. It's such a big deal that Bateman would not want that information out until after the game had been played. He wouldn't want any distractions ahead of that game and beating Navy for the third time in a row. But we had not, we did not have any information that Bateman was, in fact, not, uh, or we had received no requests from anybody to not talk about Bateman because of the Army-Navy game. We had no information that, oh, from anyone, oh, please keep this quiet until the Army-Navy game was played. Well, we're probably smart enough to have figured that out for ourselves, but at the same time, if we've got the information, if we've got the intel, um, if we know what's going on, 
quite naturally, we suspect we're not the only ones. And if the information's out there, if the deal is done, then the odds are somebody is going to report it. It's going to get out because that, that knowledge is going to be out there. So, you know, and our responsibility really in all honesty is to our subscribers who look to us to tell them what we know when we know it. And so I, I get what people are saying. And, you know, in retrospect, maybe it wasn't the best decision to go ahead with that, with the Bateman story. And I can certainly understand people that feel that way. At the same time, it's, this is what we do for a living. This is our job. We find out information and we pass it on to people that, uh, we're lucky enough to have subscribers to our website. Um, so yeah, I get why people might be upset about that. And, and I don't say that they're wrong. Uh, it's just at that time, at the moment, we went a different direction and, uh, Greg, Ben and I were all on the same page about it. And, and so that's, that's what we did. So, uh, that's the answer there. I think it's important to note too, Tommy, that, when, when we approach these stories and I can only speak for myself, uh, but when, when we approach these stories, the, the idea is not necessarily to be first. I mean, it's good to be first, uh, but we have never, we've never taken a, a point to be, okay, we have to make sure we break these stories. I've never once heard that from Buck. I've never once heard that from, from Ben over the years. It's let's make sure we get the story right. And when we have enough information available, that we can report the story accurately, we need to go with it. I mean, that was what the situation was here on Friday night. It was not, uh, you know, you know, hemming and hawing. You know, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't. It was, do we have the information? Are we you doing what you any any like Buck said? Any uh, limitations that the sources put on us? Because we do have that sometimes. People say, hey, here's the story. You can't run it until Friday. And that has occurred numerous times over the years, numerous times. Um, but that was not the case in this situation. So it was a matter of, okay, we have an abundance of sources on this, more than we need to run this story. Um, you know, Are we comfortable running it right now? And the question was, yes, absolutely. Let's go ahead and run it because, like Buck said, you know, um, what's important to me is making sure we provide accurate information to our subscribers, first and foremost. That's the most important part. Um, it, you know, it really had not even dawned to me, uh, you know, about the about the game on Saturday. And, you know, if, if, if that's a, a flaw of mine, then I apologize for that. But it was making sure we had the correct information available. We checked all those boxes. Uh, and then at that point, it was, it was making sure that we, we moved it appropriately, not to be first, but saying, hey, why are we sitting on this if we have it? And that's kind of that's kind of the way I looked at it. And that happens in recruiting a lot. I mean, you, and I know that's Don's purview more, but I mean, you hold an, a commitment until a kid has an opportunity to say it himself. When you're reporting coaching changes and coaching hires, it doesn't necessarily work that way. I've got a follow up for you, Greg, but first I want to talk about HillsTravel.com right fast. Hills Travel is, of course, a valued IC sponsor, and they got rave reviews for that travel package that sent several Inside Carolina subscribers to the UNC Cal game back in the fall. Right now, they're still selling those packages to see Carolina take on Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic, Chicago in December. It's December 22nd, to be exact. Call 336 855 
888-860 to book your trip or do it online at hillstravel.com. Trip includes round-trip airfare, RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from, and those two-night stays at Omni Chicago right there in Michigan Avenue at the heart of Chicago, along with the Carolina basketball team. The price through Hills Travel is better than if you were booking it yourself directly, and it's a great chance to see your Tar Heels take on a great appointment in a great city around Christmas time. 336-855-0060 to book your trip, or do it online at hillstravel.com. So, Greg, what what happened since... Friday night with the retraction until abatement officially announced uh, by Inside Carolina by the by the university today, pretty much. Uh, describe that process since Friday night. Well, basically, we had a long conversation Friday night, and in that conversation, we said, "Okay, should we pull this? You know, do we offer a retraction? How do we handle this?" And that was a lengthy conversation. It's not the way you want to spend a Friday night for sure. Uh, but at the end of the night, we decided, hey, this is the this is the best path forward. Uh, let's get it out there. Let's take it back. And then let's figure out what happened. And why why are we in this situation? Because as I said, we had we had a number of good sources who have treated us uh, wonderfully over the years, and they still do. That gave us this information. So so where did we go wrong? What was our lapse in this? Um and basically what we came down to as we went through the day, through the night Friday and through the day Saturday um, is, you know, with Bateman, nothing really changed. You know, we, we, we did hear Friday night that it wasn't done yet, which is the uh, kind of the, this, the, what forced our hand and, and retracting that story. But throughout the day, it was, you know, Bateman's going to take the job. He's just not going to announce until after the game. And we, we heard that from all over the place, from, from Army, from, uh, you know, inside the state from from you and people you know around the unc program so all over it wasn't just a, a unc sourced uh, piece of data uh, and so by that point we had such a, a preponderance of sources telling us that it was that was an easy one to to go ahead and report after the game on saturday um with harold we were trying to figure out okay what exactly happened here and what we what we came to find out is that harold did in fact uh agree to take the job as our sources told us but everybody needs to understand that that graham harrell uh 10 years ago he was playing quarterback for texas tech you know this is this is a guy that's very young um he's 33 he's from texas uh you know he he married his wife who's also from texas back in 2012 Uh, i think they have young kids and i think it was a matter of it, it sounded good uh something he was interested in doing but then when Seth Luttrell decided not to take the Kansas State job, I think that changed everything. And that's, this is me speculating just a little bit just to make this clear. Um, but I, but we, we are told that uh, once he had made the decision to come to North Carolina, uh, once he relayed that information to the people at North Texas, uh, when Seth Luttrell decided to stay, there was a lot of uh, pushback and saying, hey, we think you have a ton of talent. We think you, you have a, a, a very high future very high ceiling so whenever seth decides to move on um and i'm assuming he's he's probably waiting on lincoln riley to to go to the pros from from oklahoma but again this is me speculating but whenever seth decides to leave uh graham's going to get that shot at the north texas job he's going to be the the head coach in waiting without that being named um, graham harrell being a, a a texas guy you know, wants to coach in texas i don't think that's a surprise to anybody 
And so if you have the North Texas head coaching job and you do a good job there, that's a pretty significant stepping stone to one of those bigger um, Texas jobs. When I mean, we saw you know, Art Browse, for example, did that with a, a great stretch at Houston that he trans they turned into a head coaching stint at Baylor. So um, we found that out throughout the course of the day on Saturday. And as, as Buck made mention on, on Sunday in, in his uh, column, uh, you know, the fact that Harold agreed to be UNC's coordinator doesn't mean that he ultimately is going to be UNC's coordinator. And so we reported that he had agreed and would be UNC's coordinator. Uh, and that ended up not being the case. And he's, he's not going to be North Carolina's office of coordinator. And so from that standpoint, we got that wrong. Um, and we, we found that out Saturday. So Saturday was kind of mixed emotions of, okay, we confirmed everything we knew with Bateman. So we were right on that. Um, but with Harrell, uh, while he did agree to be UNC's offensive coordinator, he ultimately decided to stay at North Texas. But when talking of Harrell, uh, I mean, if the guy agrees and everybody tells you he agrees um, and you run a story, I mean, it sounds very, very much like uh, the Frank Beamer situation. And he goes home and maybe even the Roy Williams first time around situation. But then he goes home to wherever home is and changes his mind. I don't know, and this is part of the reason that reading some of the flack that folks had for Inside Carolina, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see the wrongness in reporting the story if it, in fact, um, was accurate that he had agreed to it, maybe saying he would be, but then you start getting into into semantics. I mean, you basically take somebody at their word, which is what the folks at Carolina making the decisions did as well. So tell me the, I mean, for lack of a better word, I'm not sure I see anything wrong there other than a guy changing his mind on a word that he had given um, to one staff once he got home. Where's the fault there with inside Carolina? Well, Tommy, the the fault is that people rely on us to give them information they can take to the bank. If if we say that it's raining pachyderms, we want them to go outside with a concrete umbrella. Um, if, if we put our uh, imprint or our seal on a story, we want people to have unshakable confidence that we're giving them accurate information. And, and I think uh, some of the, um, in some cases, over-the-top criticism of IC and and, um, and, and our handling of the story, uh, in some cases, on-the-money criticism of us handling the story, um, but I think we upset a lot of people. And I think part of that upset was, you know, first we tell them, you know, they're getting you know, a Mercedes Benz for Christmas and, and they're all happy. And then the next thing we're saying is, well, no, you're not, you're not getting anything. Um, and so the, the impulse there, and I, I fall guilty to it myself is, and most human beings do is first thing you want to do is shoot the messenger, right? I mean, um, how could this possibly be how could this possibly be happen? You, you told us, gave us every reason in the world to be happy, and now you're going back on that and 
So we're mad at you. And, and I get that, you know, I mean, I would have been, had I been in that situation as a subscriber um, and, and, you know, ran into a similar situation, I'd be mad and upset too. And I would probably want to take it out on people that, um, you know, were in charge of the message and had gotten it wrong. Um, So, you know, we get all of that and, you know, uh, it goes with the territory. You know, we're, we're having a conversation about it today that, you know, a certain amount of criticism in the profession that we have, that we decided to pursue, it just goes with the territory. You know, it, it, you're, you're fair game um, because what you have to say and what you write is out there in the public domain and people can look at it and pour over it and, and uh, you know, poke holes in it and have criticisms about it and do the things that normal human beings do. So, um, you know, I, I think today, uh, especially probably one thing that helped us a bunch um, in terms of things calming down is that Bateman did in, indeed you know, become North Carolina's uh, defensive coordinator. We reported that last night, and it, things started getting calmer after that point um, because it was most people assumed, well, you know, uh, you you did what you had to do. You pulled the story because you needed to, and we still ended up with uh, Bateman. So we're we're much feeling much better now and uh, hating on you a whole lot less. So I think the you can't in some ways divide or separate the uh, substance of the story from the style in which it was delivered. Those things are entwined in the reaction to it. So, um, you know, that, that's where I, I sort of come out there. And um, I think most people are, are now, like, so much into recruiting and so much into other things that they've moved on. But we felt like um, when I wrote my column today, we actually Ben and I and Greg, all three of us, uh, pinned uh, that document that I posted this morning. Um we felt like we owed our subscribers who entrust us with their hard earned cash every month, some transparency, some openness. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this broadcast is to let everybody understand what went into our thinking, the process that we went through and how we got to where we are today. So Greg coming out of this, of course, there still is an offensive coordinator position to be filled at some point. Um, our listeners would say sooner than later, but how does it change things? How does did the last 48, 72 hours change things for you as a reporter uh, for Inside Carolina, the beat writer for Inside Carolina? How, how Does it change the way you do things or the way that Inside Carolina does things um, when dealing with this stuff? Uh, moving forward, I think it's yet to be seen if it actually changed things. But in in the current time, what, what we did is, as I mentioned, Friday night, once we decided to retract the, the stories, it immediately became, okay, how do we get to this point? What went wrong? How do we need to handle this? And so basically it begins, okay, you, um, 
we, we check with our sources, figure out we make sure we get everything right, make sure the protocols we have in place are right, all these kind of things, and make sure that uh, kind of this this idea that we've set up of what we want IC to be, that, that we're reaching that ceiling, we're reaching kind of that goal. Um, and that's that's kind of the main thing is saying, okay, so when we're we're approaching this, are we checking those boxes? And I'll kind of give you a, another story to kind of kind of take you back a while is if you go back to 2011, I believe it was in January of 2011, uh, UNC got a letter from the NCAA uh, to expect a letter of inquiry with, with regard to the NCAA investigation um, at a certain date later that month. Um, I know this because I've actually seen that document. And so we reported that. Well, that day comes <laughs> and th- that day goes and there was no report. So we kind of look at it and say, okay, so were we wrong or not? And because we had actually seen the document, the answer is no, we were not wrong, but the information didn't play out the way we wanted to. Um, and so the document actually came again in, in June and because we had access to that information. Again, I think we reported it to come. I can't remember the exact day, but let's say, June 6th. I think it actually came June 9th. So there was a couple of days there where we're saying, man, is this going to happen again? Um, and so each time those situations happen, what you find is, you say, okay, number one, is our, is our source information accurate? And do we have multiple people confirming this? And that's one of the reasons that we, we require multiple sources on a lot of these stories, on all these stories. We're not going to run something with just one person. Um, and that's just to make sure that we're accurate. That's kind of the key point of that. And that's why you see all of our stories said according to multiple sources. Because we make sure we have at least two. You know, in the case of Bateman on Saturday, we had, gosh, at least five. Um, and so anytime these types of situations happen, where behind the scenes you know what's going on, but to the public who doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes thinks that maybe you're wrong in how you're handling something. And so in each of those situations, you have to say, okay, do we need to change anything? Are we making sure we're doing this to the best of our ability? And so those are the questions you ask. Um, and then in terms of, you know, how does it affect us moving forward? I'm sure we'll continue to have those discussions. Um, but, you know, right now, I think the fact that, that you know, we, we handled Friday the best that we could, um, we've addressed this weekend as best we could. We've tried to provide that information to subscribers um, and we'll continue to talk if we need to make any changes. But I don't think it was a situation where we did anything glaringly wrong. We just may need to revisit some of those protocols we have in place that we that we made sure to check with this situation. Let me take a break and talk about Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Of course, they're the lead sponsor for this podcast. They do good things for Inside Carolina listeners. They'll do good things for you if you do this. Going to Chapel Hill for a basketball game or just in Chapel Hill if you're up there Christmas shopping. Um, or up there now enjoying the snow as they've gotten a plenty. Stop by one of the Jersey Mike's five stores in and around Chapel Hill to get a delicious sub sandwich. Use the, kid, use the code HEALS15 to get 15% off that online order. It's only good, like I said, for the Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and now Chatham County locations. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. 
It'll show those locations. You pick one of them, you use the code HILLS15, and you get 15% off your order. Skip the line, go straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at those locations. Use that code HILLS15. Support Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Support the Inside Carolina podcast. Reading the the thread, um, Buck, after your column, you Ben Buck and Greg's column this morning or Sunday morning on Inside Carolina's website. It's interesting responses. So, Buck, you and I are the old guys in the bunch um, and, and have seen a lot of coaching uh, changes happen, come and go, big decisions across every aspect. How much has social media just changed everything in reporting? I mean, because – I mean, immediately, the story comes out Friday, immediately there's a response from a, somebody that's got different sources. I mean, how does that, from your perspective, how has that just changed everything? Some for the good, some for the bad. Well, Tommy, I would say that um, for the most part, my personal opinion is um, it's changed things for the better. Uh, because... It, and, and another point to make about all this is that, you know, we're kind of talking about this as if we're in a unique, uh, different kind of situation that is unrelatable, you know, that we have to explain. And, and that's really not the case. Uh, everybody faces this kind of dilemma all the time, whether, you know, it's at your work or in your church, or among your relatives, your family, uh, your Kiwanis club or whatever, you're always going to be in find yourself in situations where you've got conflicting info. You have to worry about, am I getting the truth here? Am I getting uh, accurate information here? Uh, what's going on? Does this person have an agenda? Blah, blah, blah. These are problems that people face in their daily lives all the time. And I don't think social media radically changes that, except for uh, if you can learn to filter out the noise and you know who to look for, you know, know who to pay attention to. If, if some rando had popped up and said that about um, my, I'm hearing that, you know, North Texas and Harold are staying, you know, they're staying together. Um well, we would have ignored it, but it was Bruce Feldman and Bruce Feldman had actually co-written a book with Mike Leach. And I, I'm fairly confident. I haven't read the book, but I'm pretty sure at that point in time, Graham Harrell had already gone through the Texas Tech program by that point. Um, so there was connections between identifiable connections between Bruce Feldman and the air raid family a member of which Graham Harrell is. So we knew all that. And, and so we knew that when Feldman tweeted what he did, hey, we need to take another look at this and we need to do it quick. Um, so, you know, I, I think if you use social media properly and you filter out the noise and you ignore the idiots, it's actually very useful. Um but, you know, sometimes you get, you find yourself getting drug into, uh, you know, fights of uh, different kinds with people. I, I don't, I, I don't argue with people on Twitter, 
Facebook, I, I have long since decided. Um, I was an early adopter of uh, Twitter. I think I got my account in 06. Um, but I, I probably have less than 500 tweets in over 10 years. I'm going on, I guess, 13 years. And, and, and the reason for that is I don't get, gain any satisfaction out of or, arguing with people that I don't even know, don't know who they are, where they are, what their deal is. I get enough of that on our forums and inside Carolina to satisfy scratch that itch. So, um, but I, I think for the most part, I think social media is helpful to journalists if they use it properly. I think it's fascinating reporting in real time versus, you know, once upon a time, and it really wasn't that long ago that you got your news when you woke up, walked out in your driveway and opened up a newspaper. Greg, let's kind of spin it to the present. What's next? Mike Brown still got some positions to get filled. Um, your thoughts on the coming week for Mac Brown in North Carolina. I mean, the, the recruiting is certainly going well. I mean, compared, especially compared to where it was uh, two weeks ago, but what's next for this staff and coach Brown? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, Mac Brown wants to wrap up his, his coaching staff. And so I think in a, in a matter of days, if not hours, you'll see everything kind of come together and there will be a, there should be an announcement sometime soon about the remaining positions. Um, yeah. Every, everything that we've got, every, every bit of detail that we have and, and Intel suggests that that's going to happen, that he's got a lot of people lined up. Um, and if you, if you're a premium member of inside Carolina, uh, we have a, a assistant coach names to know, um, thread on the premium board that kind of details there's you know a couple guys that we have penciled in as being members of the staff um, that we do not currently have enough intel to uh, be able to report publicly but we're pretty confident about their um, their additions to the staff and so when you factor those guys in now we're talking about really uh, just I guess two positions in um and so I, I think this is going to be wrapped up uh, relatively quickly. And I think he just has to figure out, you know, what kind of offensive coordinator uh, does he want to settle on? Obviously, we know that uh, North Carolina offered Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, he decided not to take that offer. And then we know what happened with, with Graham Harrell, both those guys being of the air raid persuasion. And so we know he likes that idea, but that doesn't mean he's limited just to the air raid. Um, he wants to get the, the best option available to him and so i think that's kind of where we go next and then the other part of it you mentioned recruiting uh we're, we're talking about december 19th is the first signing period so we're inside of 10 days now in terms of being able to to sell those things now i think there's a couple parts of this number one it's not a matter of getting guys to sign on december 19th it's a matter of getting guys not to sign on december 19th because what what Mac Brown and his coaching staff wants to do is guys that may be committed elsewhere just to tell his guys, look, we, we understand you want to enroll early or you want to sign early, but we just took the job. We have you know, high expectations for what this program can be. We just want to get to know you better. And two weeks is not going to get it done. But if you just agree to push back your signing until that first Wednesday in February, 
Now, all of a sudden, we've got two more months, and you really will have a good idea of if you like us or not. But just give us that opportunity to get to know you. And I think that's the sell job. And then the other aspect, too, is uh, we everybody saw that Anthony Ratliff-Williams decided to turn pro a year early. And we can have a long discussion about whether or not that was a good idea for, for Ant. But that's another part of the sales job. It's not just the kids coming out of high school, but it's the guys uh, that, that maybe have the potential to play at an elite level uh, that could consider you know, either jumping ship and going pro or maybe transferring. I mean, Brandon Fritz decided to, to transfer. Uh, and so you know, we know that Fritz is a, is a good tight end, and no question about that. So it's also a matter of, you know, in addition to the, the high school recruits, is making sure you build those relationships on your current roster so that the guys you may need next year, uh, you can you can make sure they understand that they have an important role, that the program's still in good hands, uh, and that the ceiling is a little bit higher so they hang around and, and help this transition period so that 2019 is not the type of season that 2018 was. Very important there, and it helps having – uh, staff holdovers to keep that together but we talk about once a week on this podcast and I think I asked you last week and I'm gonna ask you again this week your thoughts how do you feel about how it's gone so far during the Mac Brown tenure because uh, it started out with a bang then it had a, a major hiccup with uh, the Robinson deal and now North Carolina secured Bateman and has some other guys in the pipeline your thoughts just on the past two weeks and has it gone as you expected or better or worse than you expected? Well, for me, um, if if I had stepped back, and I probably did, in fact, I'm sure I did, and thought about, okay, we've got Mac Brown coming in. He has been out of coaching for five years. He's 67 years old. What sort of staff does he need to put together that will enable him to have a successful um, second go around. You know, love is lovelier the second time around, I suppose. So anyway, in thinking about that, I would have said at the time that it would be important for him to surround himself with people who are up to their elbows in the current uh, X's and O's knowledge is out there. Uh, young guys that are dynamic that, uh, can help, um, and be relatable to younger players that they're recruiting guys. that will be energetic out on the recruiting trail that will leave no stone unturned and, um, a, a, a staff that can, you know, it's hard to think of, of Mac Brown having weaknesses, but he does, you know, and one of those is he's, he's older than the average coach. Uh, I think maybe he's like the fourth oldest head coach, Greg, or something like that in the nation at this point. Um, and he's been out of coaching for five years. So he needs to surround himself with, uh, that kind of energy and that kind of dynamic, I thought, um, in his first staff. And if you look at how it's come out now, there have been a few uh, speed bumps along the way. Um, but, you know, he, he's, the staff is very young staff. I don't think there's a single person that has reached 
Tommy Ashley years um, on, on the staff at this point. Maybe close, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, certainly uh, uh, quite a few that are in the uh, Greg Barnes ballpark on the staff. So I think that's a good thing. I think, and one thing that I'm excited about is that, you know, as Greg mentioned uh, early on, we kind of got some uh, intel that Jay Bateman might be on the radar. And immediately I set to work researching, uh, you know, what kind of uh, defensive coordinator he is and what's his claim to fame. Because I'll be quite honest with you, I didn't know anything about him until um, his name popped up on the radar about probably three weeks ago and you know very impressive i mean from a x's and o's standpoint from a guy that is uh you know we often talk talk about guys who are offensive gurus you know art briles and um you know this guy and that guy and mike leach and other guys that you know came up with a unique uh and successful uh, offense, you know, in the last, it's been the story really of the last 20 years in college football, even Larry Fedora falls into that conversation, but you don't often hear about defensive gurus and guys that are unique in, in how they approach, uh, preparation, teaching, how they approach defense in general. There's just a few guys out there like Dave Aranda and maybe Justin Wilcox that's out at, uh, um, California these days and a few others that, uh, Mike Elko, I guess at, uh, Notre Dame that are, you know, at the top of their profession in terms of how they approach and think about defensive football and Bateman, even though he's only 41 falls into that conversation. And I think that's exciting for UNC fans that are been starved for good defense since 2010, 22 of 2009. Um, the 2010 defense would have been much better if uh, certain members of the team hadn't slept on other people's couches, but um, it's been that long. I mean, it's been nearly a decade <clears throat> since the UNC fans had a defense that they could be proud of. And, uh, you know, I think Bateman will get them there. I don't know how long it'll take him. You know, I think it's very dependent on Jimmy's and Joe's. A lot of the other guys that are, either retained on the staff, brought into the staff, or look like they will be a part of the staff, are very much renowned for their recruiting abilities. I, I think this is probably, you know, I guess it's common to throw out um, comments like this, and it can be hyperbolic at times, but I think this could possibly be the best recruiting staff we've ever seen at North Carolina. So many guys on this staff have, you know, earned a reputation for being dynamite, relentless recruiters that are successful, that can relate to kids and get them on campus. And you've got a head coach that is uh, well-renowned for being a great closer. So, you know, in terms of how the stat, how it's actually come together at this point, I have to say I'm pretty excited about it. Now, the proof's in the pudding, and like Jason Staples never tires of telling us, um, Florida State completely won the offseason last year. 
uh, with this, you know, hire that hire this recruit that recruit, and then they get into the season and they lay a gigantic egg. So, you know, it, it's all going to boil down to what happens on the football field. But at this point right now, and there's certain, especially offensive coordinators, certain other things that have to fall into place. But uh, this is the kind of staff I would have thought three weeks ago that uh, Mac Brown would need to put together in order to be successful at UNC. Good stuff, and you're indeed correct on the age factor. I think we'd be, both of us, but would be down there in the uh, administrative candidates in play. We'd be with a, on the Ken Browning, Moody, Gene Robinson side of that ledger. Um, Me so, it, more so than you, Tommy. Don't yeah. be so uh, modest. Well, I, I'm getting there, but it, it is interesting to see the youth contrasted with Matt Brown and the experience uh, North Carolina, I think is in good hands. Certainly the excitement's there. I mean, I think that's why I thought the Matt Brown hire was needed um, because it needed to have something to energize the fan base. And I think they've certainly done that. And I think the past weekend, Friday night specifically has shown that so many more people uh, care now than they did two and a half weeks ago. So I think ultimately it's a good thing. And I definitely look forward to Buck, your work, Greg, your reporting on all this as Matt Brown fills his staff and completes that. And like you said, December 19th is coming up fast. Who signs and who doesn't? I think who doesn't might be as important as who does, especially for North Carolina. Greg and Buck, I appreciate y'all taking the time to join me. I think our listeners deserve this podcast. I hope they enjoyed this podcast and certainly looking forward to doing more as we break down members of the staff a little more in depth in the coming weeks. Thanks guys. Thanks Tommy. Thanks Tommy. Thanks for listening to the inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code heels 15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.